Great. Um, let me pray for us. Father, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We pray that this evening it might show us how we walk in new life. Father, please help us to listen. And we pray that it might challenge us to go away and consider how we act. Amen. Well, <laughs> imagine for me with, <laughs> with me for a minute that it's day one after lockdown. Finally, the day has come. And we're back meeting at Longfield School. And for some reason or other, you're, you're covering someone and you're on welcome. You're there on the door and you're ready to welcome people in. Now, we always expect visitors at Town Church, but for some reason on this given Sunday, there are more visitors than usual. In fact, it's pretty obvious why. Everyone's pretty shaken up by the whole coronavirus thing, and we've got people flooding through the doors that haven't been with us before. At Longfields, when you stand on the door at Welcome, you've got a good 25-metre run-up to see the person approaching you. See if it's someone you know or, or someone you don't. You've got a good amount of time to work them out. What car did they drive in? Did they walk in? Have they got children? What are they wearing? Do they look confident? Do they look like they're nervous? Do they look like they've never been to church before? All the while, you're thinking, how am I going to warmly welcome them to Town Church Bista this afternoon? So there you are, day one, after lockdown, and it's got to about four o'clock, so the steady flow has calmed down, and just a few more people are trickling in. And just then, a flash car rolls in, and out steps a well-dressed man. He starts walking towards you, and he has a massive gold chain around his neck. Once you've realised he's not a rapper, you realise it's the mayor of Vista, with his chain of office around his neck. As he approaches, Part of you wonders why it is that he's here. While at the same time you're thinking, how great could it be for our church if the mayor settles himself here? How great could it be if he just enjoys this afternoon? And as he arrives at the door, you're eager to shake his hand, to introduce yourself, ask him if he's been before and how his day's been. When he says that he's interested in what's going on here at town church you're suddenly very conscious to make sure he knows where to go to help himself to great refreshment to direct him to someone who'll give him a really warm welcome and as he strides in to the main room you're very conscious that he might have a good experience you're very conscious that he he wouldn't be upset by anything that happens you think how good would it be if, if the mayor of our town became a Christian? Or how bad would the repercussion be if he didn't look favourably on something that happened? And just as you're pondering, as you're thinking it through, you notice out the corner of your eye another figure walking towards you. They walk in from the path. You vaguely recognise them, but you can't quite work out where from. He's not well-dressed, and he casually ambles towards you. As he arrives, it dawns on you. He's the guy you've seen bedding down in the arch by Wilkinson's. His clothes are shabby, and he smells. 
in that moment, what do you do? Where are your hands going? What's racing through your head? Are you just as eager to shake his hand and welcome him in? Are you just as conscious of giving him all the same details? Are you just as concerned that he might have a great welcome? That's pretty much the scenario James describes at the beginning of this chapter. Do you see in verse 2 to 4 that we heard read? He's addressing a, a particular mindset that's going on with the Christians there that are under pressure. And in this block, 1, 1 to 13, he makes a clear case against what's going on. And his argument flows a little bit like this. He says, don't do this. Why not? Do this. Why? Don't do this. Why not? Do this. Why? And he makes it clear from the very beginning what it is that he's addressing. He front loads the section with his directive. Verse 1, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. Because what's going on with the scattered believers that James writes to is that they're under immense pressure from those that are rich, wealthy, influential, esteemed in their society. So when the mayor turns up at their door, they're concerned by what they might gain from him being there. Or probably more accurately, they're afraid of, of what he might notice, what he might enforce off the back of his time with them. The word in verse 1, favoritism, or if you've got a different translation, it might be partiality. In the Greek, in the original translation, it, it means receive someone according to their face. Don't receive someone according to their face. Or maybe more accurately for us, don't receive someone according to their house, their clothes, their car, their job. Don't receive someone according to their skin color, their age, their jewelry, their hairstyle. Are you quick to decide how to treat people based on their appearance? Are you quick to decide how to speak to someone based on their position? Are you quick to decide how to feel about someone based on their background? James says, don't show favoritism. Why? Look at verse 5 and 6. Because God loves not according to what we are like. Verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Do you see what he's saying in his rhetorical question there? preferential treatment of the rich is the direct opposite of the attitude of God who's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. That's especially for his first readers who were poorer than the influential people they were facing oppression from. But if God chose people based on what they could offer him, he wouldn't be choosing anyone. The fact that he showed his love for me when I'm not worthy, means I should be thrilled to extend that love to those that aren't worthy in our society. Remember last week, chapter 1, verse 18, Johnny mentioned it already this evening. God chose to give us birth, not because of anything we've done, not because our great obedience or great faith, because there was nothing lovely about us. There was no redeeming feature that meant God had to choose you. But he chose us. And that truth transforms us to be more like Jesus. 
And so it makes no sense for the person who has new life in Jesus, who is being transformed to be more and more like him, who has been loved not according to what they've done. It makes no sense for them now to show partiality. It makes no sense for them now to show favoritism, to now judge according to the face. It doesn't fit with a new life given impartially, given freely, given even despite your face. It would make no sense to live that like that. To live like that would be inconsistent. It would be double-minded. Because when we're called to new life with Jesus, we're called to new life like Jesus. Our culture, it kind of encourages people to treat one another based on their performance, their status, their position. That's how it operates, doesn't it? You see at the moment with social distancing. Because when you get into a tight spot with someone, that space between you and someone else is even more pronounced. So when you're going down a walkway in a shop or when you're in an alley and and you've got to make the decision of who goes first, it's even more pronounced at the moment. Now, it's normal when you look at the other person and you think they're more esteemed than you. They're better dressed. They're more wealthy, more influential. It's natural that you'll say, oh, oh let them go, let them go. Probably, probably should let them go. And it's normal if the other person looks at you and they think, oh, well, I'm more esteemed than you. And they say, I'm better dressed. I'm more wealthy, probably more influential. It's probably likely that they'll push on through in a self-entitled manner. And if you flip that round, when you look and you make a judgment call, subconsciously, you'd never say it of yourself and say, well, I'm probably a bit more esteemed. I'm a bit better dressed, more wealthy, more influential. I'll just walk on through and, and say thanks to the person opposite me in a, in a kind of way where I look down the nose, thanks, thanks. In lockdown, are you more willing to go to the people in your street that are more like you, that you look up to, that look more respectable, the ones that will look like they might help you back? You know, the, the ones that will give you all the money and more to go and get them something from the shop and not ask for change. Are you more willing to help that kind of person out in lockdown? Or would you go and knock at the door of the house opposite? They will probably just stare at you as if you're an alien, as you ask if you can do anything to give a hand. Our street is so mixed. We've got all kinds of people living in quite a tight space. It's brilliant. I was standing in the front garden the other day, as I've done a little bit more in lockdown to try and have a bit more conversation, when I had a bit of a chat with Jimmy, who lives two doors down. Jimmy's family are lovely. The mother works for the NHS, instant hero. The three girls are well-behaved. And Jimmy told me that it was his seven-year-old daughter's birthday. Heartbreaking. Seven years old, birthday, no party, no way to celebrate. As I went back into the um, kitchen table, Elise and I chatted. Oh, it's just awful, isn't it? Uh, what could we do for them? So we recycled a present that was wrapped for our niece that we took around this gift. Sorry, Lydia, if you're listening. I'm sure she's not. She'll be in bed. And as... We dropped it round, came back, sat back at the um, kitchen table. It's just a lovely feeling. You sit there and you go, ah, oh, 
yeah, I feel good. It's, that's the charitable deed done for the day. That'll lighten up her day. And then just a few minutes later, knock at the door. Go to open the door, box of chocolates on the doorstep. Unbelievable. Sure, it was a lovely gesture to Jimmy and his family. But it was, that's just it. It was easy, wasn't it? They're lovely. They're respectable. They were always going to give us something back. Would I do the same for the house over the road who crashed into our car in their uninsured car? Or, or when I go over there, does it all just a bit get a bit too complicated, a bit too messy? Is that just a bit too costly for me? Our culture it encourages people to treat each other based on image, status, influence. Yet the gospel calls people to love impartially. Who do you ignore because they're not like you? Who do you not visit because they're not worth it? Who do you not help because it would just be so costly? Who do you avoid because it's just a little bit awkward? Whose door have you not knocked on in lockdown because that would be so much effort? Who have you not messaged because you know it would just become so tangled so quickly? And it might be that you're listening in and you're thinking, actually, this pretty accurately describes what I tend to be like. In fact, maybe even what I've been like during lockdown. Speaking to people based on what I know I'll get out of it. Not wanting to go out of my comfort zone or, or help others that I know will be of great cost to me. Well, let me read this, which I read this week from a chapter of a book that I think could be really helpful. An honest assessment of your heart will reveal that it's still bent inwards at certain places. You probably have more prejudices than you realize. You probably have a greater sense of entitled than you'd like, entitlement than you'd like to admit. You certainly have more pride than you're aware of. You may be slow or unwilling to forgive. The human heart is deeply fractured. Acknowledging this fact and crying out to God are the first steps in healing. Once you recognize your own sinfulness, and hopeless brokenness. You can be reconciled to God and begin showing merciful love to others. The only way we'll be able to show this kind of love, really, James says in chapter one, last week we saw, when we receive new life in Jesus, when you commit to following him, and when you have new life in Jesus, then he says, this is how you'll live. And here he says, this is what you'll do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse eight. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Well, you might ask immediately as you read that verse, why is it that it's called the royal law? Well, this law originally given was to the Israelites in Leviticus in the Old Testament. And it's one of the verses that Jesus quotes most in his ministry. It was what Jesus pointed to as he summarized the whole law as love God and love your neighbor. And it was clearly referenced in a number of miracles and stories that Jesus told and performed, like the Good Samaritan that we saw with the children this morning. So James can claim it's the royal law because it's clearly emphasized by King Jesus. And James is concerned that his recipients just aren't getting it. 
So it's understood that the Christian community at the time were by and large not overly wealthy. They were facing oppression at the hands of rich and influential figures. And instead of fighting back and having an active retaliation, they'd kind of be a, a polite submission to those that were in charge of them. And that would eventually trickle down to them themselves being like that to the poorer people around them. They'd be just the same. You can kind of see how that happens in our society a little bit. You're actively nice to the, the people that you think are better than you. Think People that you think you need to be like that too. The people that you maybe want to suck up to a little bit. And you're less bothered about the people that it won't make that much difference if you treat them like that. And the worst that the people that are richer, more influential, more experienced are to you, well, the worst you end up being to those that you look down on. You see it in some really obvious ways in some workplaces with a, with a really obvious hierarchy and maybe in more subtle places, in more subtle ways in other places, maybe a, a school staff room. Maybe you've heard it said, oh, let's just bully the new lad. We can get away with it. He's the new lad. It's what he gets. Or we'll palm it off on them. They're newly qualified. And it's not just tasks, it's words, it's language. It's just what you do. God commands that we're to love our neighbours. And neighbours isn't defined by position or status, but by the fact that we're rubbing shoulders with people. Who is your neighbour? It's not just Jane at number 12 or whoever it is. And it's great to love them. But our neighbour is anyone who we rub shoulders with in our existence in Vista, in the world. In fact, maybe that's not even broad enough because there's a danger. We don't rub shoulders with those that we don't favour. We share the streets of Bicester and the surrounding area with thousands of people. We share the world with millions, billions. Some are like us, some are not. So if you listen to this, come on, love your neighbour, and you think, ah, oh, you know what, that's easy. I just drop cookies around to next door every now and again. <laughs> they give them back every now and again as well. Or I just drop a note through the door. I just text the WhatsApp group of the, of the road. If you think it's easy, it's probably because you're only thinking about those that are like you, those that don't appear to have much need. And there's two really specific challenges there. Firstly, time to open your eyes. Look at the people in real hardship in Bicester. Loneliness, isolation, people that are time poor. And at this time especially, people that are, are really in financial need. People that are of poor health. Are your eyes open to those people in Bicester with real and obvious need? Could you even say who that is? They are our neighbour. They are in need. Secondly, those that we're rubbing shoulders with day in, day out, that will probably be more like us, that it's okay to have more of an intentional focus on. Well, are, are your eyes open to their needs? Or do you just get on with life and assume that because they're like you, they're getting by, they're all right? We're proud people. So we don't like to say that we're in need, but will you notice? Will you be able to love your neighbor as yourself? They are uh, your neighbor. They are in need. 
we as a church have partnered with our local food bank and it's been a joy this month to give them a chunk of money and at the moment we're thinking through as elders how we can distribute the the funds that we usually use in our, our normal running costs to on top of what we've given provide financial support to other things but even in the last couple of weeks as i've gone about looking to what we can support in my experience it's not as easy as just waking up in the morning and saying today i'm going to serve my community because if that's what you do you'll never get anywhere you need to know and in order to know you need to keep thinking it needs to be on your radar you need to notice and keep asking and finding out the specific ways in which you can help. So for that reason, if you want to know of specific things you can do, ask people, be asking around, keep your eyes open. And if you do know of specific things in our community at the moment, where we as a church should give our time, our money, our resources to, please come and tell us and we'd love to get involved. There's brilliant things that people in our church are supporting. The, the community fridge, the, de the delivery of medication, uh, things I've seen and heard of people at church being involved in. Do we know? Are we going after them? A pastor who wanted to illustrate this, dressed as a homeless person and sat outside the church he worked at for a few weeks. Fake beard, big hat, trolley, blanket. On the final week, as he was going to preach on this passage, he waited until the service started and he got up from out the front of church with his trolley and his blanket and he walked down to the front of the church. As he got to the front, he took off his fake beard, took off his hat and he began speaking. He spoke of how some people had simply walked past. Some people had shielded their children from going near. As he attempted to walk down the aisle, he spoke of how people had encouraged him to sit right at the very back or tried to stop him from walking down the aisle. And it's really easy for us to say, well, that would never happen to us at Town Church Vista. We'd be pretty good if a homeless person rocked up at our door, and we might well be. But it's not always as obvious as a homeless person begging outside your church. In fact, it almost never is. We have to go after those kinds of opportunities. We have to open our eyes. James says the one who follows Jesus will love their neighbour as himself. Why? Well, because God has mercifully loved you. Look at verse 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The challenge is for them to speak and act consistently. There's a real emphasis there, and we saw it through um, last week, of speaking and acting the same. Do you remember last week in chapter one? We saw the recipients of James's letter. They're in danger of being double-minded. We are in danger of living with double standards. We say one thing about how we love the mercy of God, and then we act out another when our neighbour is in need. If we have new birth in Jesus, we are recipients of God's mercy. But look at verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. 
How can the person who shows no mercy expect to receive mercy? How can they? How could you expect that from God? If we trust in Jesus, we have been transformed and we are being transformed to be more like him. We saw last week that he has given us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. That means the new life we have in Jesus is called to not show favoritism. It's called to love those around us impartially. The first fruits, the evidence that we're becoming more like Jesus, is that we'll operate more and more by this royal law to love our neighbour. And we'll do that not according to who we favour, not who it's good for us to love, but to who it's good for them. Do you see, it's not how good would it be for me in the long term if I get that person a really nice birthday present or I lend them my child's clothes or whatever it is. But how good would it be? How good could it be for that person if I could do just one full weekly shop for them? It's not how good would it be for me? How good could it be for them? I wonder how you could do that this week in the midst of full lockdown, to go out of your way to display that mercy, to decide to help someone based solely on what it can do for them. Who's not being helped that needs it? Who could you show love who's in genuine need? The final sentence might seem a bit odd. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As if God's mercy and his judgment are competing. No, they're not. God's mercy triumphs over his judgment for those who are in Jesus. And that's because at the cross, justice was met as mercy was given. So the only reason for the one who's in Jesus, mercy triumphs, is because at the cross, for Jesus, judgment triumphs and justice was met. He took the judgment Justice was settled so he could extend his mercy. Both are seen perfectly. That's what it costs for God to extend his mercy to us in new life in Jesus. When we are not worthy, he took justice into his own hands so that he could extend mercy to you and I. And so that's why we're transformed, that we might extend that very same mercy to those that are in need, that we might care for our neighbours as God cares, that people might see that we've been transformed by his good news. That people in time might come to trust in God's mercy for themselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you give new life, not because of anything that we've done. Father, we pray that you'd help us to accept this new life, to live it, and to not show favouritism, but to love those around us. Not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, but because we can share your mercy and love them. Amen.